Welcome to the Equine Connection Podcast, where health, nutrition, and love for the horse come together. This podcast is brought to you by Tribute Superior Equine Nutrition. I'm Dr. Chris Mortensen. And I'm Dr. Nicole Rambo. Hey, it's so great to see you, Nicole. How are you today? I'm doing very well, Chris. How are you? Doing good. Talking about ionophores. I know listeners are like, oh my goodness, that's a, a, a dense topic, a, a sciencey, nerdy topic. But we'll break it down in, in, in very simple bits and pieces, but a very important topic for horse owners. Absolutely. And and one that I'm not sure, I think some people are hyper aware of it. Mm-hmm. And some of our other listeners may have never heard of this topic before. So I think it's one that should be enlightening for those of you who know a little bit of ionophores and then some new ground to cover for others, but an important topic for everyone. Yeah, everybody. Yeah, You, you need to know about these because uh, they directly can impact your horse's health and is, is why we don't feed, cattle feed, stuff like that. So just to kind of kick this off, I think the the first question is, is is what are ionophores and and what are they used for? So ionophores are technically antibiotics. That would be their classification, Uh, although they're not one used in human medicine. So they're specific to livestock and their actual function doesn't work as an antibiotic, even though scientifically that's how they are categorized. So they're coccidiostats. They're actually an antiparasitic. So in poultry, using cattle as well, they control coccidia, which is a class of protozoa that cause intestinal disease. So that's really important for the health of those animals. In cattle, they can also be used to improve rumen fermentation. So just like horses degrade fiber in their hindgut, there's fermentation in the front part of the cow. Mm-hmm. And Ionophores can actually be used to change that fermentation pattern a little bit to make cattle more feed efficient. So they're utilized for that purpose as well. So they have very important jobs in other livestock species, and they're contained in feed pretty often for some of those other categories of livestock. Uh, But unfortunately, something that we definitely don't want to cross over with horses. Yeah, I mean, ever since I was little, it was like, don't feed horses cattle feed. And I, and I didn't know why. It was like, okay, you know, that's not those are, that's not good for horses or sheep feed. You know, I didn't, I've never really dealt with goats. But now as you dig into it, you're like, oh, now I know why. Because they might have these ionophores and some other things that, that aren't intended for horses. But when we look at specifically ionophores... What do they do? I mean, I I guess, why is it dangerous for horses when it's okay to feed to a cow? Hmm. Yeah, so, you know, it kind of just like some medications are okay for dogs and not humans and vice versa. It's that horses are very sensitive to really tiny amounts of ionophores. So, you know, scientifically, what we look at is called the LD50 So the dose at which 50% of exposed animals are expected to die. And I I know that sounds really terrible, but I'm I'm going somewhere with this. And so if we look at menensin, which is one of the most popular ionophores, rumensin uh, would be the trade name for that. In a horse, the LD50, so the dose at which half of horses exposed would be expected to die is 1.4 milligrams per kilogram body weight. And just to kind of put that in perspective, in cattle, their LD50 is 18 times that. So they're used for cattle, but if you feed too much, it can be toxic. 
And in chickens, the LD50 is 150 times Mm. that of horses. So just based on their physiology, it's something they're very, very sensitive to that that unfortunately causes major issues at really, really tiny amounts. And that's what makes it so challenging when we think about feed manufacturing is that ionophores in tiny amounts cause issues in horses. Yeah, and they, and they die, right? Like every year we hear about horses dying. Yeah, I, don't, I guess I haven't looked at the stats to tell you just how often. I would say at least every couple of years you see some sort of news story about horses that have been exposed to an ionophore. And, and, and I should say there's a number of different ionophores. So I mentioned Menensen, trade name Rumensen. Um, there's also a generic version of that as well. Uh, Laidlamycin, selenomycin, uh, naricin, like there are a number of different ones. I would say trade names Rumensen and Bovatec are probably the most common ones that you'd probably hear about. But yeah, I mean, it, at least every couple of years, uh, horses are exposed to ionophores and we, you know, see that there's been this issue and the end result can be fatality again, because they're so, so sensitive to it. That isn't to say that every horse exposed to some level of ionophores passes away. Uh, there, there can be negative health impacts and a horse can still survive, but it only takes a tiny, tiny amount to hit that fatal amount in a horse. Well, I, I guess that, 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 that's a good lead into the next question is, is how do, how can they accidentally ingest ionophores? I, I never get them near chicken feed, you know, because like you said, 300 times chicken. Uh, I, I don't know the concentration in chicken feed, um, but just assuming that they're pretty high. But I mean, how would they, you know, how do they accidentally ingest these ionophores? So there's, there's two ways this can happen. So number one, kind of like you have brought up, horses are either unknowingly fed, like from a, from a place of you don't know better and you feed them feed designed for other species and that happens to contain an ionophore on purpose. So that would be an example of you, you fed cattle feed to your mm-hmm. horse and it was an ionophore containing feed. Sometimes what can happen is maybe you have multiple different species of animals on your farm. Like maybe your kids have some show cattle and their show cattle feed contains one of these ingredients and a horse breaks into the feed room and consumes it that way. So I've seen that happen as well. The other way it happens and more typically the one you might see in the news, right, would be the mixing error or sequencing error that happens in a manufacturing facility such that horse feed, which is intended to be ionophore free, is contaminated with some level of ionophores. And then we have widespread negative health impacts in a horse. So one thing to kind of be clear, the the single animal experiencing this is likely they've encountered feed designed for another species, right? When you have these manufacturing errors, and the reason that we see news articles about it is it it impacts numbers of horses across different farms because you end up having that manufacturing error where it is broadly spread throughout a lot of feed. So there's there's different ways that feed manufacturers handle horse feed and ionophores. So I would say your gold standard and how we handle it is just no ionophores in the mills that make horse feed anytime. Ever, mm-hmm. such that I also require all of the suppliers and ingredients that will be going into those mills to also be ionophore free. In some cases, manufacturers might try to 
have separate lines. So maybe line A runs only horse feed and other things with ionophores. Line B runs the cattle feed with ionophores. Or maybe they'll do sequencing such that you run an ionophore feed and you run however many tons behind it you hope to get the whole system clean and then run your horse feed. So with options B and C, there's obviously a lot more risk that something goes wrong, either something within the manufacturing system itself, human error. I mean, ultimately, that's just a level of risk, right? The risk may be low, but as a horse owner, you would have to decide, is that risk acceptable to you, knowing how drastic the small percentage of cases where the error happens, it, it ends up being. Yeah, I, I and I know that it just recently happened in Florida the last couple of years, you know, keeping tabs on that down there. And, and, and it's such an unfortunate when horses get a bad bag of feed. And so that, again, that's why, you know, We'll talk about at the end, you know, what owners can do to prevent this. But let's say a horse is exposed to ionophore. What are some of the things we could look at to say, ooh, you know, it's it, they might have been exposed to something uh, that's making them ill? Sure. So this is one of those things that the symptoms are really broad. So kind of reading down the list, it's pretty long and it a little bit varies. There's multiple ionophores. So not every horse would display all of these symptoms in a given time. So symptoms could be anorexia, the horse won't eat, diarrhea, depression, colic. The more severe symptoms trembling. So like they have muscle trembling, their legs are shaking, ataxia where they lose control of their limbs or are neurologic, uh, immense sweating, sometimes abnormal urine production. So they literally start dumping urine and producing tons of it. A big one that is linked to anaphores and is often, you know, something that diagnostically a veterinarian on a necropsy would end up suspecting an ionophore toxicity would be cardiac abnormalities. And again, the reason I see necropsy is because the endpoint to that is death in this acute toxicity. It is possible for a horse to have more minor exposure. Unfortunately, there's no antidote tyonophore poisoning. So the vet can provide supportive care and some horses might come through it. Sometimes they end up on the other side with long-term health impacts. And then of course, the ultimate horrible end to this would be horse fatality. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, not fun. It, 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 whenever we talk about stuff like that, it always gives me a, a lot of appreciation for our veterinarians because of whenever I taught or, uh, you know, teaching at vet schools and, and they have to diagnose. So you see all these symptoms and I'm like, oh, that could be so many other things, but you know, yeah, absolutely. I, I could have also been describing some incidences of laminitis, mm -hmm, colic, mm -hmm. a horse tying up, um, <laughs> toxic plant ingestion, blister beetle intoxication. So there are a number of things that do look like ionophore poisoning. So from that perspective, you need your vet to be involved. A, I mean, the horse needs supportive care, right? The first thing you're going right. to do is call your vet anyways. But obviously, you need a diagnosis because the treatment for a severe colic is totally different than that of the supportive care for a horse with ionophore toxicity. So in terms of how do you figure out like what happened? So mm -hmm. in a case that this is suspected, um, recommendation would be obviously feed samples of what you're feeding and don't feed more of it to other horses. 
Ideally, if you still have the packaging, feed manufacturers generally have lot information on their packaging, which helps them narrow that down, which is super helpful. I, I encourage people to save the lot information that, while they're feeding a feed. So if an issue comes up, let's say you buy feed once a month, make sure you save one bag or the tag off of one of those for that month so you have that information to reference back to if you have an issue. So you grab a feed sample, you have the packaging information. In terms from the veterinary side, they can test stomach contents um, and even animal tissue. So there is a way to positively identify if that horse did consume ionophores. Um, liver tissue is generally what they're testing. And again, this is in the case of a necropsy that we would be doing this sort of testing to find out what happened. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I guess, uh, you know, it's, it's with horses, it seems like there's always something out there that, that's trying to kill them. What is that? It's so true, though. I think mean, you're like, not wrong. Yeah. No, I just, I love them so much, but there's just so many things. Uh, these poor things. All right. This is, but again, this is why we do the podcast and, and we want the best for them. What's the best preventative then from, from your standpoint, you know, as a nutritionist, how do we limit exposure or completely prevent it? Yeah. I mean, the good news is you can completely prevent it. You purchase your feeds from manufacturers who guarantee their horse feeds are produced in a facility that is completely ionophore free. And that is certainly something you're within your rights to ask the manufacturer of your feed, and they should be able to share that information. Um, I can share with you that Tribute is produced in facilities that are completely ionophore free. Beyond that, obviously, ensuring that I don't think anyone listening to the podcast is like, I fed cattle feed on purpose. Right. Um, right, right. But obviously, we're not going to do that, right? We should only be feeding horses feed that is labeled for horses. And we've talked a ton about nutrient requirements. So one, this is about limiting risk of ingredients. And ionophores aren't the only one, but they're like the biggest one. Mm -hmm. Limiting the risk of ingredients that horses shouldn't be consuming. But also making sure we're meeting their needs. If it was developed for cattle, they have a completely different digestive physiology than a horse. So it's fundamentally not healthy to start with. And it could be downright dangerous. So I don't think anyone listening to this is feeding that on purpose. But I will say, thinking about that safety, if you have multiple species on your farm, in a perfect world, right, horses should never have access to the feed room. Stuff goes wrong. Gates are left unlatched. Kids leave doors open. So maybe you think about, you know, not bringing that feed in in the first place, buying the non-ionophore version of the feed of your choice. And, and certainly if you have it, making sure everything really, you know, three layers of protection, if you will, to, to really make sure horses don't have access to that um, because it only takes such a tiny amount to cause these just super negative health impacts. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's uh, my family mixed cattle and, and horses and, and goats and sheep and chickens. Everybody loves chickens. So yeah, I, I, I get it. And, and hopefully somebody out there goes, Oh, you know, and then uh, we can help prevent some of these things from happening. And if, if, if there's any other topic out there, please reach out to us on social media, again, on Instagram or Facebook. You can look for Tribute Equine Nutrition or go to tributeequinenutrition.com. Links always in the show notes. Uh, contact us. Uh, give us suggestions. Give us feedback on the podcast. Anything you want 
to hear. And then also, if you have not given us a five-star review on iTunes or Spotify or whatever podcasting app you're using, please do. Thank you. The horses will thank you. Nicole and I thank you. And and just overall, thank you for listening and, and caring so much about your animals. Yeah. Thanks so much, Chris. We promise to bring you um, a more upbeat topic next week. <laughs> <laughs> yes, for sure. For sure. Take care. Thanks.